The Bible claims that God is all-powerful in Matthew 19 26, and that God doesn't want anyone to die. So he claims that God has complete power, claims that God doesn't want anyone to die. The World Health Organization reported in 2015 that 1,000 people are murdered worldwide each and every day. 600,000 people died from war. So something in that equation doesn't add up for me. If he's all-powerful and good, what's with all the violence and death? If he's got the ability to stop it all and he doesn't want anyone to die, why are people dying? The disciples claim to have had an experience with Jesus where, and we just sang about it, where the wind and the waves were completely stopped on a, calm, on a, on a stormy day at sea. And in Psalm 148, you say that there's, there's fire and there's hail and there's windstorms. They all do God's bidding. So then why on earth are there catastrophic weather and tsunamis and hurricanes and earthquakes that create pain and starvation and sickness? Why does he do this if he's apparently such a good God? You know, there's even personal tragedy. Jesus' own brother James wrote in, in, in his letter that the prayer of the righteous person accomplishes a lot. But I've talked with a number of people this very week. In fact, some of you sitting here I've had conversations with. You've had the loss of family members. You've had a loss of a job. You've had a health concern. You have a housing concern. And we've prayed and we've believed, but nothing seems to have changed in the immediate. So something's not adding up. <laughs> Either God isn't who he claims to be, or the church isn't, he isn't claims to be who the church claims that he is. Or maybe we've misunderstood part of the equation. If God is who he says he is, why is there still so much suffering? And this is a question that has plagued Christianity for years. It drives people far away from God saying, I have no interest in getting to know who God is. Because people suffer all the time, and he says that he doesn't want anyone to suffer. So here we are, we're in week four of our Tough Questions series, and we're probably tackling the most difficult hurdle that a skeptic wrestles with when they come to God. And if I met you, my name's Rick, I'm the campus pastor here, and uh, in all of our campuses and venues, we are in the midst of this series, and we're looking at... Why, what are the big questions that prevent us from believing in God? And if we already believe in God, maybe we can come to some resolution as to how we can share our faith better with other people because we know that people are struggling with these questions. And we've, we've been doing it on Sundays. We've been discussing it in our growth groups. We have, we have six groups right now that are meeting in Milton. And if you're not in a group, let's chat because I know there is potential for some more groups to, to be meeting because on Sundays, we open up the topic and we look at it in kind of 25 minutes, half an hour on uh, a high-level view at it, but we know that there's so much more to discuss and to study. So we believe that when we get into groups and in homes throughout the weeks, we know that we, there's so much more for us to experience on that. But this morning, we know that many people, you've suffered something at the hands of human, of, of human beings. Maybe you feel like you've suffered at the hands of God. And if God cares so much, why are we experiencing this pain? So that's what we're going to get into this morning. You can get out your notes. They're in your, your bulletin. If you've got a bulletin on the way in, you can fill it out. There, it's also on the app. If you have the Portico app, you can fill in the blanks on the Portico app. And if you want a copy of the Bible to borrow this morning, because we will be flipping through a couple of the scriptures, just quickly slip up your hand, and somebody will make sure that you get a copy of the Bible to borrow this morning. All the scriptures will be in, on your app in the notes, but some people like having the Bible, so just quickly slip up your hand. Some Somebody will make sure that you get a copy to borrow. 
So let's get right to it. The three big questions this morning when it comes to suffering, and what what we hope is that we can bring some perspective on this, but what we really want is to open up the discussion with your friends and family and your growth groups this week. And the first one is this, is why is there suffering? The basic answer that we want to know is why is there suffering? Why is there pain? And we find that it comes from breaking some kind of law. When I was back in my in my preteen years, I was probably 10 years old, I spent the summer building a two-story deck with my brother and my dad. I've told you many times that I'm not a handy person. I have never, I've never actually done anything handy on my own. But this summer, under the supervision of my dad and some other people, we built this giant two-story deck. And it stood, it's still standing. I was pretty proud of it. And it was, it was so tall. It was one of those ones where it had like, like 15 stairs, and then it turned and went some more stairs, and then had a big railing on And as a 10-year-old boy, I'm looking at this thing, and it's just begging a 10-year-old boy to jump off the top of that, right? Like when you've got got two or three stories and like soft, squishy ground underneath, it's just saying, jump off me. This would be really neat to see what you could do. And And I had myself and my brother, so we started egging each other on. I bet you couldn't land that jump. (laughs) he's like, well, I bet you couldn't land that jump. Now, the law of gravity says that what goes up must come down, right? And it comes down at an increasingly faster speed at 9.81 meters per second. Did you remember your, your, your grade school math days? And our deck, I would say, was about two or three seconds high. So uh, <laughs> we, we hit the ground somewhere at a, with the force of 19.6 or 27 or 28. I don't know. I'm bad at math. But I know that force is mass times acceleration. And I know that my brother had a lot more mass than he should have. So when the, he hit the ground, the force of him hitting the ground broke the law of gravity and also broke the muscles in his ankle. So he, and he learned that humans weren't meant to fly. Or <laughs> breaking the law of gravity brings suffering. Don't jump off the deck. That's what I learned that summer. Don't jump off the deck. So I've kind of wrote that one down and moved on. I broke a law last weekend. I'm pretty proud of this one. Unknowingly, actually. We, we were at Hope's basketball tournament, and the kids, and we, they all wanted to go out for lunch. We had like a three-hour window, so we all went out for lunch, and the kids, they didn't want to drive with their parents, of course. They wanted to put as many as they could into the larger vehicles, and we have just a little, little Mazda. So we took a couple of parents, and the kids all jammed into the larger vehicle. So we went for lunch, and we're driving back, and, and as I turned the corner, I see lights in my rear view mirror. And I thought, oh, what have, what have I done? And Hope is, Hope, my daughter, she's 10 years old. She's terrified of police just to, so I, I was thankful that she wasn't in the car. And so, and so I walk, uh, the, I pulled over and the, co- and the cop walked up and said, she said, do you know what you've done? And I'm smiling. I have no idea what I've done. And she said, your, your license plate tag had expired. And I said, oh, really? I'm pretty sure I had, I had, I had updated that. And just at that moment, Hope and the other giant vehicle, the giant vehicle of like 10-year-olds drives by and Hope's face is plastered against it. Are mom and dad getting arrested? What's, 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 what's going on? And it was just a license plate tag, but they don't like that apparently. So when I, when I broke that law, that was $100 worth of suffering. And, and, I believe, and I believe Hope is scarred for life. And Amanda was mortified because she had to walk in and all the parents are going, what happened? How come you guys were pulled over? And I don't mind being the center of attention and it gave me a good story for Sunday morning. So I was more than happy. It was worth $100 to me. <laughs> 
What about, but when you break law of gravity, when you break the civil law, what about a relational law? Have you ever shared personal information about a friend or a family member that they didn't want shared? <laughs> they, they shared that with you in confidence and it just kind of came out in conversation? You know what I've discovered doing a lot of public speaking for my profession is that some people don't like every detail of their lives shared from the front of the room or posted online. I don't know. Some people don't like that. I try to remind my loved ones that it's my job to teach and to entertain and I need good stories. So sometimes I just have to share those personal stories. They don't seem as invested in my job as I do. But but I know that if you break a loved one's trust or you hurt their feelings, you'll end up suffering. (laughs) especially if you break a relational law with a woman. They, they seem to have insight into how to make men suffer every once in a while, right? But when you break law, suffering comes. So the same applies to spiritual law. When you break some kind of spiritual law, suffering is invoked. And it all stems back to the time even before humans were created. It was only God and the angels in heaven. And there was one specific angel named Lucifer. He was the lead angel in charge of worship. And Lucifer recognized that it was actually he who was giving leadership to the other angels. It wasn't God. They were, they were coming to him. And the Bible teaches us that this made him proud. And he felt that he was deserving of some of the credit that God was getting. And pride breaks the spiritual law. And he suffered at the hands of breaking that law. And he was sent out of heaven. And we read about this the prophets revealed this to it, who was revealed, it was revealed to them by God. You can read about it in Ezekiel. You can read about it in Isaiah. We don't have maybe all the specific details, but we do know that it was Lucifer, whom we know as Satan. He makes a choice, and suffering enters the world. And it was never God's choice to bring suffering into the world. It was actually Satan's choice. And following this choice, he made it his life's work to bring about suffering to all of us. We see in John 10.10, here's what it says. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And the suffering that we experience on earth, here's what we see from scripture. It isn't even God's design. It's actually the exact opposite in God's nature. God is good. God doesn't want to bring suffering, and it's Satan that brings suffering. And even when God first created humanity, when he makes men and women in the Garden of Eden, he designed Eden to be perfect without sin, without any kind of suffering, without pain. And there had been no law that had been broken, so so nobody had gone through pain. But Satan, the talking snake, here's what we see in the book of Genesis. Disney ripped that off, like the con from the Jungle Book. That was all right out of the Bible. He comes and he tempts Eve, saying that she could be like God if she would eat fruit. That gave her the knowledge of what was right and what was wrong. And her pride, wanting to be like God, separates her from God. It brought in suffering into humanity. She broke a law. And just like that, every child who has been born since then is given this legacy of suffering. Not a great legacy to leave behind, but it's been passed down to us generation to generation to generation. The reason why we have suffering, theologically speaking, is not because God wanted it, but because we're punished because we're breaking a law. Here's what we see in Romans 5, 12, and 13. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all have sinned. It leaves God with a choice. Because we have sin, it leaves God with a choice. His choice could not have been just accept flawed humanity. 
God could not have chosen to say, you know what, I'm okay that human sin, we're just going to be good with the bad stuff that goes on. Scripture teaches us, because God is perfect, because he has this perfection, he's actually unable to even be around sin. When sin comes around God, there's death. And we wish as human beings very naturally that it was a choice, either accept us or don't accept us, because that's how we live our lives, right? We see people and we say, you know what, there's good stuff, there's bad stuff, but I'm going to choose to accept you. And we think, God, why can't you be like us? That's a, that's a human thought. That's not a God thought. God had two choices. He, he could destroy it all, or he could figure out another way. <laughs> and what would it say about God if he destroyed the very thing and the very people that he created and he loved? But he knew that sin had to be reconciled by death somehow. And then there was, he brings in this practice of instituting animal sacrifices where, where we as humans, we learn how costly sin was. And we saw it demonstrated right in front of our eyes that, that if there's sin, there has to be death. And that was never intended to be a forever practice. But for, for years, humans to reconcile with God, they would have to kill an animal and there had to be blood that was shed. And then there was the plan of Jesus who would come to earth and he ended up with death, his death on a cross, acting as a martyr for us. His death paid the price of sin so that we would avoid suffering. Here's what we read, 1 Peter 3 and 18. For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And when Jesus died, heaven and perfection could have started right at that very moment. But we're in the last 2,000 years, 2,016 years, we've been in this time of waiting, this patient time where God is allowing us to live our lives and choose to either align ourselves with him and that sacrifices that, Je- that Jesus made or not, choose to align ourselves against him. But theologically speaking, the Bible lays out a very clear picture. This is why they're suffering. They're suffering because we break law. So let's get to the the second part of that question. Another big question is, then why doesn't God end suffering? If if we know why that there is, why doesn't God just put it to the end? If God is so powerful, couldn't he force people just to do the right things? We've already established that his nature makes it so that if there's a law broken, there has to be a consequence. So why doesn't God just make it so that no laws are broken? Couldn't he do that? Isn't he that powerful? Because that would end suffering. Well, the question that we think about then is, at what point would you want God to take away your freedom to choose how to live your life? At what decision, at what level of evil would you want God to say, okay, you don't get control anymore, I have control. (laughs) For most of us, it would be way back here. We don't want God to force, we don't like anybody to force us to do anything. As kids, how, how many of your kids like you forcing them to do what do you want them to do? None of you, right? They all say, you're not telling me what to do, mom or dad. What about, what about when, when there's, a, there's a new law passed and the government tries to tell us, well, here's what we should be doing. We buck against that. We wouldn't want God to force us into the way that we would live our lives. We want the freedom to choose life. So out of the same mouth that says, God, don't intervene and stop bad things from happening, we say, but I want my freedom too. And we can make a fairly solid argument that God should prevent murder. Is there any real good purpose in murder? It seems like it's pretty bad for everyone. But then where does the line get drawn for what is good and what's bad? And we see in Scripture is this, that God is actually so just and so fair 
that part of that means he has to allow for us to choose our own actions and invoke our own natural consequences. If we go back to the beginning of the Bible, right after Adam and Eve, we see their kids. They have, they have two boys at the beginning. They have Cain and Abel. And they have this sibling rivalry going on. One was a shepherd and one was a farmer. And there was sin, so there had to be sacrifice that was offered to God because there was a law that was broken. So they had, there had to be death, right? And God looked at their two, their two sacrifices. I don't know if you've ever, you've ever read this part, but do you know that God looked down at, at, uh, at Cain's sacrifice and said, your sacrifice isn't actually acceptable to me. I like Abel's sacrifice better because he's offering his animal. All you're doing is offering me food, and Cain, so Cain gets upset and goes, well, then I can't offer a good enough sacrifice for you, God? You're not even going to accept my sacrifice? Now, logic would say, just ask Abel maybe if you could sacrifice one of the animals as well. But apparently Cain wasn't a very logical person because instead of, of asking that he could participate with Abel, he gets jealous. He doesn't look want to be humiliated in front of God. And he kills his brother. And here's what we read in Genesis 4 and 7. God comes down, has this encounter with Cain. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Cain doesn't care. He goes and he kills Abel anyway. And every day on this earth, we see examples of humans acting poorly towards one another, causing pain and suffering. And if Push comes to shove. We don't want God forcing us how to live right. We love freedom of choice. But then that freedom of choice carries a very big weight. The question underneath all of this that people ask and they often come back to, is God doing this to punish me? Is, is there some reason why I'm being punished? Is God making bad things happen to people? Is he, is he, is he toying with them? Well, let me ask you this. What is the last thing that you've done to harm another individual. Maybe, maybe physically, maybe you've just got upset at them, maybe you hurt them emotionally. Most of the suffering that we experience on this earth doesn't come from the hands of God. It comes from the hands of other human beings. Sometimes it even comes from our hands that we inflict pain and suffering on other people. We're acting out of our own free will. Sicknesses that we come from, it's, it's often not, we, we can say, God, why, why do I have this sickness, but oftentimes it comes from broken bodies that encounter viruses in a broken world. And it doesn't mean that God's not real, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't care. It just means that God has given us the right to leave us to our own ends on this earth. And we've chose, Adam and Eve chose sin, and sin brought into the world. You and I have give, been given that legacy, and uh, no, numerous times we could look back in our own lives and say, no, here's time when I've chosen sin, and I've brought this into our world. Here's what James 1, 13 and 14 says. Don't let, this is out of the message version. We, we chose this version because it just kind of scripts it really, really uniquely for us. Don't let anyone under pressure to give in to evil say, God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil and he puts evil in no one's way. As I was mentioning, parents, you understand this concept. You regularly allow your kids to experience pain, right? Don't you? natural consequences, results from bad choices? Is it because you're a bad parent? <laughs> because, like, do you want your kids to get hurt? I know I, know, I know I don't. No, you don't want your kids to get hurt. You want your kids to live. Letting them learn to walk, what did that mean? 
letting them learn to fall. <laughs> and you watch them fall on their face and they got bumps and bruises and they got scars and they were, and they were crying. You, for them to live, they had to fail and they had to hurt. Making, making friends, al- allowing them to meet other kids, what did that mean? It meant letting them get into fights and letting them get their feelings hurt, <laughs> letting them encounter those kind of conflicts. As they get older and then they start to date and they start pairing off with somebody else, what did that mean? It meant letting their hearts get broken. Getting a job means maybe they'll mismanage money. Maybe they'll, they'll run into trouble that way. Maybe they'll get fired. Maybe they'll experience stress. No loving parent controls every detail of their experience for their child. We love them enough to let them live. See, that's God in us. He wanted us to freely fall in love with him. He wanted us to freely live our lives so that we could experience life and experience what it could be to have a life that's totally reliant on God. We've been, we've been doing our, our, this whole series and our growth groups out of the book, um, The Case for God. And here's what Tim Keller said in that. If God wanted people... Oh, not the case, the reason for God. Here's what it says. If God wanted people to freely choose the good... They would, have to be, they would have to be free to choose evil. You get that? To choose good, they would have to have been free to choose evil. The greater good of having true children rather than robots entails the risk of abuse of free will. We serve a holy God who cannot exist without sin. So our sin brings death. Yet he loves us enough to let us choose life with him or choose life without him, to accept his gift as payment for our sins or not. And because of that, it leaves us in a world where we regularly experience bad things, where we regularly experience suffering. That's the theological part of the message today. We're in a very theological series and we're building a reason, we're building a case as to why we experience these kinds of things. So this morning what we want to resolve to is, let's get to the, let's get to the so what part. Let's get to what does this mean for us. And in the midst of suffering, does God care? That's the question. Why is there suffering? Why wouldn't God end suffering? But as we sit here this morning, in the midst of suffering, does God care? We already looked today at how Jesus came as a salvation plan, the payment for our sins, an alignment with him, belief in his story. What it means is that we'll go to heaven one day. And heaven is a place that is promised to have none of the suffering that we experience here on earth. And it wasn't just a rescue plan to get us out, but Jesus coming to earth was a restoration plan to bring things back to the way God intended them to be. Look at how the Bible describes heaven. Here's what, here's what it says. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Doesn't that sound like a wonderful place to live? <laughs> no death, no crying, no mourning, no pain. It sounds like an amazing place to live, and it doesn't sound like what we have here. <laughs> Paul, the main author of the New Testament, was a man who was physically beaten. He was jailed. He was falsely accused. He was on trial to be executed. And Here's how he described his experience. He said in 2 Corinthians 4 and 17 that the light and momentary troubles that he was experiencing, beaten, jailed, falsely accused. He says these are light and momentary troubles that would all lead to eternal glory. 
And we started off this morning acknowledging that there are people here this morning and you don't feel like what you're facing is light nor momentary. And probably it isn't light or momentary. It's probably heavy and you don't see a way out this morning. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back. Because in the midst of it all, we were singing through it all, it is well. And maybe that was a super difficult song for you to sing because it isn't well. You're actually kind of hurt, upset, mad, and there's no end in sight for you. So in the midst of it all, what do you need to know? You need to know, does God care? Here's what I love about our God. We serve a God who created a world with the freedom to, to sin, meaning the freedom to experience suffering, because he knew that there would be consequences of sin. He knew what was going to happen. So God didn't try to escape it. Instead of turning away from everything, God runs right into it. <laughs> he sent Jesus, his most loved, the one he, whom he was one with, his son, and he experiences separation because he sends Jesus to earth and he says, in the midst of your pain and separation, I know what that's like. Jesus experienced homelessness. He had no place to live. He said, the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lie his head down. And for those who are going, you know, I don't, I don't even have a place to live. You serve a God that says, I know what that's like. Because God didn't have a place to call his own home. In the midst of feeling betrayed, feeling like nobody cares, Jesus says, I had one of the one, I spent three years with 12 people. I could have gone anywhere. I spent three years with 12 people building a relationship with them and one of them sold me for money, my life for money. And when somebody's turned their back on you, you serve a God that says, I know what that's like. For those of you in physical pain, you serve a God who was beaten and killed. God knows. And in the midst of of our suffering, God cares so much that he doesn't turn away. He comes right in in the midst of it. Here's what Hebrews 4 and 15 says. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. We have a high priest who knows us, who comes right alongside us. He experienced all of the same junk that we do, and he knows how much we hurt. And this morning, what we want to do is end in a time of prayer. And here's what we're going to pray for. We are going to pray that God brings an answer. We are going to pray that, pray that God brings healing. We are going to pray that God resolves the situation. And sometimes he does, and it's good to pray for that. He said, in James, he said, is anybody sick? Come to the front. Let the elders of the church lay their hands on you and pray for you and pray that God will heal the sick. We believe God does miracles. And I've served God long enough to know this. He does do miracles. Is there anyone who's ever experienced an answer to prayer? You could say that. Just as it, look, look at the hands around the room. We know that God does miracles, so we pray for that. Is there anyone who's ever prayed a prayer and there's not been an answer? Anyone be willing to admit that? Same number of hands, maybe even more around the room. We know that God also says, yeah, there's suffering in this world. And there was a time, I remember, there, there was a story we were going to teach on this morning, and there was this, this pool that that all, the, all the, the injured and the lame people who, who couldn't walk, they were crippled for life, they would all lay around this pool. And, and they were, there was, there was this, this theory that when the water stirred and the water was right, the first one into the pool would be healed and God would miraculously heal them. And Jesus came by one day and he would have seen hundreds of people laying around this pool and he came and he, he healed one. <laughs> 
And so for that one person, it was worth the encounter with Jesus. What about the other 99 or 150 or however many were there? How come he didn't heal them? Why, why would he leave them? Why would he allow suffering? Because God's focus isn't necessarily on making everything good here. We know that. You know what God's promise is? He promises that in the midst of your situation, he'll step in and give you peace. He promises that he'll step in and give you hope. We can be encouraged that prayer works and that in the middle of it, when you shouldn't have peace, you can have peace. That's what the scripture says. He gives us peace that goes beyond understanding. When there's a time that you should be stressed out of your mind, he brings you peace because you know that your life is not about what you experience now. It's about the future and what we can have with God. He says that he can reveal Christ's nature in us. So that even when we're going around facing persecution, meaning people are against us, even when we're facing hardship that there's no real answer to, we can have God's presence right beside us. We can have the same spirit that enters in us that entered into Jesus. So that whether or not things get better here, and for Jesus, they certainly didn't. (laughs) They ended pretty poorly for him. But then now he's in heaven where things end perfectly. That's the promise for us is that things will end perfectly in heaven. I want to read two more quotes out of Keller's book. Though Christianity does not provide the reason for each experience of pain, it provides deep resources for actually facing suffering with hope and courage rather than bitterness and despair. If we again ask the question, why does God allow evil and suffering to continue? And we look at the cross of Jesus and we still don't know what the answer is. However, we know what the answer isn't. (laughs) It can't be that he's indifferent or he's detached from our condition. God takes our misery and our suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. This morning, I'm just going to ask you to stand to your feet. And we've got a few people who would who would love to pray with you this morning and just take some time. Maybe maybe you just want to be in your seats and you want to pray with, with the people that you're here with. Maybe you want to find a place around the front and um, we've got Mark, one of our prayer partners, and myself, I'd love to pray with you. And um, Karina's here. She's one of our elders. She would love to pray with you. We want to pray together because we know that we have a God that understands. And here's what he asks us. He asks us to come and bring our hurts to him. There's a Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached, and he said, Blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are those who are poor, and blessed are those who are humble, and blessed are those who come with pure hearts. You know why? They will see God. They will be comforted, and they will receive the kingdom of heaven. So this morning, as as Suzanne and, and the team leads us just to be able to sing that through it all, we've seen you. We want to spend some time in prayer. So as they lead us, just come now or find a place in prayer and we'll spend some time asking that God's peace and presence come and meets you as you need it. So Lord, this morning we stand in front of you and we are just honest. We open up our hearts and what's inside to God, there's some stuff that we're a little bit afraid of that we're hurt over. And Lord, we don't know why we're experiencing it necessarily, but In the name of Jesus, I pray right now to each heart that needs peace. God, would you bring peace? 
And God, to every heart that just has questions about, are you still in control? I pray that the promise that you're on the throne, that there is a time coming where there'll be no more pain. God, I pray that that truth and that stability just be a rock in their hearts and in their minds this morning. They would walk out of this place reminded that they are not going, that this isn't the end, that this is just a time, Lord. This is a broken place and we're moving towards a perfect place. And Lord, I pray for anyone that just needs to know that you're close, they feel alone. In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you let them know that you're with them? And wherever they go, you go with them. You said that the same spirit that is in Christ Jesus is now in us by our belief in you. Lord, I thank you that you're encouraging our hearts, you're encouraging our minds, you're you're speaking to us truth and making us more like you. And I pray, Jesus, that we don't live the same anymore, that we don't do the same things, act the same way, that, that God, when we encounter this kind of truth, that we just drop down the things that once were truth to us and accept your truth as life thank you lord for your word thank you lord for this group that meets together that encourages one another that can be a support to one another and we pray that jesus is as as we go that we live out your truth we live out your reality we thank you and we ask this all in your name amen amen